1 Samuel chapter 25. Have you ever believed the lie that, well, you're just not good enough for God to use? Maybe you've just had a bad week or a bad day, or maybe just things in your life, well, they're not going the way that you would like them to, and you have this idea in your mind that God can't use me because of, well, the place I'm at in life. One of the things I love so much about the scriptures is they tell us the good, the bad, and the ugly about the people in the Bible. Last week, we saw David, who's going to be the future king of Israel. He was on the run from King Saul. He's hiding in a cave with his men. King Saul comes in to relieve himself, the scripture says, probably lay down and take a nap. David has a chance to kill the man that is trying to kill him, but instead he chooses not to. He's not going to interfere with the anointed one of God. Instead, David's heart said, I'm going to let God take Saul off the throne. I'm not going to be the one to do it, even though I've been promised the throne of Israel. And we saw and we heralded David as what a, what a tremendous victory that he had. As he didn't kill his enemy, even though he had a chance. We would have all agreed it would have been okay. So even though David had the chance to take out the man or to kill the man was trying to kill him, he chose not to. And we talked about what a great victory that was in David's life. But what we're going to find out tonight is David's a lot like us. Because sometimes following a great victory follows, well, maybe a shortcoming, maybe a downfall. And we're going to see that David's temper, David got angry because somebody insulted him. Ever happened to you? You ever been insulted and you just want to get angry and you want to fly off the handle? Well, that's going to happen to David tonight. And I'm blessed every time I read a passage of scripture like this to think, wow, he's just like me. He he acts just like me sometimes. So let's pick up in chapter 25, verse 1. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. The prophet Samuel has passed away. It won't be the last time we hear of him. We'll hear of him again in chapter 28. But he's passed away. The people of Israel are honoring him. He was a great prophet. He spent his whole life uh, uh, walking and and representing the Lord to the people. And we read here that he passes away. But in verse 2, we pick up our section for this evening. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, just so you understand, 3,000 sheep is a lot of sheep for him. It means when it says it's very rich, I know that in our day, you know, I can't equate to what 3,000 sheep would be worth. It would be a lot of money. It would be like somebody you look at and go, oh, they're very rich. But to that day, their cattle, their sheep, their livestock was their value, was their, was their finest. It was, it was what made somebody rich the more that they had that way. Today, we wouldn't see it that way, unless, of course, you're into farming. And it also says that he had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Verse 3 says, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. So we meet here two people, Nabal and Abigail. Nabal is the husband, Abigail is the wife. The name Nabal means fool. Now, I don't know whether his parents gave him that name or whether he got that name from his friends. Either way, that's what it means. He's a fool. That's where that name came from. The name Abigail means her father's joy or joy of her father. Her father's joy or joy of her father. We read a few things about the two of them here. We read that Abigail was, uh, she was a woman of good understanding and 
beautiful appearance. She had two really good things go for, going for her. She was very attractive, but she was also a woman of good understanding, which means she was smart. She was wise. She wasn't, uh, you know, she, she didn't do things foolishly like her husband did, but she was, she was very wise and very smart and also very attractive. And then we read about Nabal, and Nabal is a harsh man. He's an evil man, and he was the, of the house of Caleb. Now, that Hebrew word for Caleb, it means dog. So he was the house of the dog. It wasn't that he was from the lineage of Caleb. The writers are here actually telling them that he's a dog. He's the kind of man that you would describe as a dog in his dealings with people. He was very, very, in his, he's very wealthy because he has a lot of livestock, but he's gotten a lot of that. He's, he's re- obtained a lot of that by, by, uh, by uh, improper business dealings. He's, he's a, people, people didn't like him. He wasn't, very, he wasn't liked very much, but he was respected in some senses because he was wealthy. Isn't it interesting how these two people come together? A, a woman of good understanding, she's beautiful, and then her husband is a complete fool. We'll talk more about that before we close tonight. Verse 4, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. So let me get your attention. This is what's taking place. They're shearing the sheep. And it's in the springtime. They've, David, his men and them have protected all of the livestock of Nabal. And what he's saying is to his, David says to his men, listen, go down to Nabal. Tell him we protected him. Ask him, tell him to ask his men that we've protected him. And just ask him to help give us some supplies. Give us some provision. We, we want to get payment. Now, David waits till the right time because it's shearing time. As they shear the sheep, they sell the wool. Nabal's receiving the money or the food, essentially, what it, what it is. And that always brought about a feast time for them. So David's essentially saying, hey, listen, we took care of you. Now will you take care of us, and will you give us some food? I want you to take care of my men. If you would just provide us with some food, that would be nice. And he reminds them of a couple things. He said, hey, when we were in the wilderness, I took care of you. He also says, hey, it's feast time. Would you, would you guys do that for me? I scratched your back, you scratched mine. Has that ever happened to you in life where you're kind of, you take care of somebody? You're, not, you're expecting something in return. Hey, I did my part, now will you do your part? And, and David's not extorting him in any way. This was common back in that day. Because if you had a large flock of sheep and you were out there and you didn't have protection, guess what would happen? These other people groups in the area would come through and they'd take your sheep and they'd kill your shepherds because to them, that was like walking with a sack of money. I mean, if you were to walk down the street with a sack of money, how long would you have it in your hand before somebody tried to steal it from you? You better have some protection with you. So that's exactly the same situation. David is going to him saying, hey, we've been protecting you all this time and haven't asked for a thing. Now, all of a sudden, it's party time. There's a party going on. Let us enjoy the feast with you is essentially what he's saying. Let's look at Nabal's response in verse 10. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? 
Wow. Do you see the insult there? He says, who is David? Who's the son of Jesse? He knew who David was. Every, the whole, the whole, he, he's the guy that killed Goliath. All of the Israelites knew. Who, they made a song after him. David has, Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. There was nobody in all of Israel who did not know who David was. He was very, very popular among the people. But he, in a sense, when he says, who's David? He's elevating himself in pride going, who are you? Who are you to come to me to ask for for anything for me. I don't, even, I don't even know who you are. And then he even gives him the insult to show that he does know who he is. Notice what he says. He says, there are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. What's he referring to? You left Saul. Saul's trying to kill you. How do I know you're the good one? You broke away from Saul. You're nothing like a runaway slave. That's what you are, David. You're like a runaway slave. You've got no, no standing before me. I think those were the wrong words to say to a man of war. Matter of fact, we read here David's young men in verse 12 turned on their heels. (laughs) They're getting out of there. And they went back. And they came and they told him, meaning David, all these words. And David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. David said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are talking to me that way? I can't believe you insulted me that way. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to fix you. And just turn over real quick with me to verses 21 and 22. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now let me just explain to you what's going on. David's pride's hurt. He's been insulted. He's, he, doesn't like, he doesn't like what he's heard. Who is David? Who is Nabal? That's really what he's saying back. And in, in a sense, when he says who is Nabal back, he says, I'm not only going to show you who I am, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you and every man in your household. I'm coming after you. You want to know who David is? Let me tell you who David is. That's how fights get started. That's how, that's how men get in fights all the time. Who are you? Well, let me show you who I am. Let's take it outside. It's ego. It's pride. Do you see it there? Nabal says, who's David? But you see, we can get insulted a number of ways, can't we? It's not always going to lead to a fight. Sometimes it can lead to an argument, a bad gesture. People can insult you with their words. They can insult you with their actions. They can insult you with their driving. If they don't drive like you want them to, and you have, they pull out in front of you and you get mad at them, you're insulted. How dare them pull out in front of me like that? How dare them be in the, slow lane, in the fast lane going slow? But do you see how David's humanity is showing through here? He's just another guy. He, he, yes, he's a man after God's own heart, as the Bible so clearly tells us, and he's being, made, he's, he's being made a man after God's own heart, and he's being lined up to be the next king of Israel, but he's dealing with the same things that everybody else deals with. One moment he's on the mountaintop in spiritual success, the next moment he's about to commit murder. He's got no reason to go after and kill Nabal just because he doesn't like what Nabal said. All Nabal said was, I don't, I don't care who you are. I'm not giving you a thing. I don't care if you're entitled to protection uh, be paying me for protection. I'm not giving you a thing. And David is absolutely furious. I can think, I believe that we've all been there a time or two. Nabal doesn't know this is going on. 
being the harsh man that he was, being the dog or the, from the family of dogs, being the evil man that he was, he sent David's men away. Now, what do you think the rumors and the rumble and the murmurings in the camp were from, from, uh, from, uh, from the men who were the shepherds, from the ones who were protected by David's men? What do you think they were saying? Oh, boy. Did you just see what, did you, did you see what Nabal did? Dave, Nabal just sent David away. This is not going to be good. We have watched David fight. We have, been, we have seen him protect us. We, this is not good. we got to do something about this. If we don't do something about this, we're going to be in trouble. So what do they do? They go to Nabal's wife, and they tell her about the problem. Look at verse 14. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them that means he treated them with a, with contemptuous language he talked bad to them he put them down he belittled them he reviled them but then they said look at the truth they say about David and his men but the men were very good to us and we were not hurt nor did we miss anything as long as we were accompanied them as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields they were a wall to us both by night and day all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. As we describe Nabal, do you know somebody like that? Or have you ever known somebody like that? Isn't it a sad place to live if you've ever known somebody like that, that all they care about is themselves? They're not interested in doing what's right. They're not interested in, in helping somebody. They're not interested in anything except for themselves. That's where Nabal is. Nabal is married to Abigail. I find the relationship extremely interesting. They go to the, David goes to the man of the house. The man of the house puts him down, insults him. The men that work for him realize, wait a minute, we better do something because we know David and we know Nabal and we know that David's going to come after him. We've spent time in the fields with David and we know the kind of man that he is and he is, he is not going to take this lightly. So they go to his wife. They go to Abigail. Hey, Abigail, listen, this is true. Everything that the men said about David, where he protected us, he was our wall night and day. He was there with us. They didn't steal from us. They didn't mistreat us. They did nothing wrong to us. You got to do something. What if I don't? We're all going to be dead. You got to do something quick. Look at verse 18. Abigail made haste. She knew that time was of the essence. She knew that David would be coming. And took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. That speaks towards his wealth. That was already prepared. That was already prepared. Already ready to go. Loaded them on donkeys. She said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Now, I want to just... We're going to see as we go through this that Abigail is going to approach David and she's going to do a lot of things right in her approach to David, but she's also going to make some mistakes. I think she makes a mistake here when she doesn't tell her husband Nabal what she's doing. Now, I realize the lives of all the servants were there, but I think as a wife, when you're going to do something like this, you probably should consult your husband on it. You probably should say, hey, listen, we need to talk about something. We need to figure something out because if we don't, this is what's coming. But instead of giving her husband counsel, she takes it upon herself and says, listen, I'm going to fix the problem. And she does a pretty good job of it. So she tells him to go on before him, but she didn't tell her husband. Look at verse 20. So it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David 
and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. So she's on the way to meet David, and David's on the way where? On the way to kill Nabal and the whole family. This is, they're like meeting in the road. They're on their way. Here we come, head on. We met, we met each other. And David had said in verse 21, Surely in vain I have protected all this fellow and his, has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that he belongs to him. He has repaid me evil for good. Verse 22, May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. So David's hot, he's angry, he's had it, he's been insulted, and now he's going to, he wants vengeance by his own hand. Now, look at Abigail's response in verse 23. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. Notice the humility that she approaches David with. She doesn't approach David as the rich wife who has all the who has the fancy donkey, you know, the fancy car she pulls up in with the fancy hairdo and everything else along with it. She approaches David with humility. It says she quickly got off of her donkey and she fell down on her face before David. Who's David at this point? He's not really anybody. He's not really anybody. He he most people and and, and we'll see that even she knows that he will be the next king of Israel. But he, at this point in, in his life, he's killed Goliath. He's had a lot of success in battle. He's a mighty warrior. But he's not, he's not a king yet at this point. Although he's been anointed by God, he's God. He has not taken the throne of Israel. But she recognizes him and she humbly bows before him. And she fell at his feet. And look at what she says to him in verse 24. On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Do you notice what she just said? She falls before David in humility and says, it's my fault, David. Let, let the sin of my husband, I'll take the blame for it, David. I, it's my fault. I'll take the blame. I'm going to stand beside him. Yeah, he did something stupid, but I'm, I'm going to take the blame for it. Let this iniquity, let this sin be upon me. Let your maidservant, let, 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 and she also asked for permission. Please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. So she falls before him. She says, David, it's, it's my bad. It's, it's my fault. Let, let his sin be upon me. Can I have permission to talk to you? Can I, can I tell you something, David? Notice she doesn't just blot out and give him a piece of his mind. There's something, there's something attractive about this. And you're going to find out that, well, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen later unless you don't know the story. But there's something attractive about this because she comes in hum humility. She tells him, listen, I'll take the blame for this. Let me, can I, can I just share something? Can I talk to you for a little bit? Can I just speak to you? And I, I want to share something just from a, from a guy's perspective. For, for wives and for women, it's, you know, you, you might think, well, why does she have to ask permission to talk to him? It's not that she has to ask permission to talk to him. She knows how to get him to listen. Because if she'd have come up there and said, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. Give me, you, you sit down and let me give you a piece of my mind. What would he have done? Woman, get away from me. But because she came in humility... Because she's smart, because she's of good understanding, she said, I know how to talk to him. I've got to, I've got to tell him something. I've got to save my family. I've got to save this. And she comes in humility and says, hey, listen, can I talk to you? That is a great way to start a conversation when you want to correct somebody. Because David's hot. She knows it. And if she says to him, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Now think about it. Play out the picture. Here's a beautiful woman. She comes before him. She bows in humility. And she says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? That's a great way to, if you're, if you're going to correct somebody, if you're about to tell somebody, hey, listen, you're about to make a mistake. 
What you're going to do, what you're going to say, what you're about to do is wrong. There's a good way to start that conversation and a bad way. The good way that she's doing is she's, she's uh, shown us is, can I talk to you for a second, please? Because then all of a sudden they've given you permission to speak about what you're going to say. You understand the difference? If I just come out and start telling somebody, hey, listen, you're going to blow it. You're she could just, David, you're making a mistake. Forget it. Listen, it's not going to work. I've already told the armies to back up. You're going to be in for battle. She could have made all this stuff up and been demanding, but she doesn't. Can I talk to you for a second? What a great way to introduce this. And look what she says in verse 25. Please, let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. I think that's a mistake on her part, but she's agreeing with him. She's calling her husband a scoundrel. I don't think she should do that, but she does. For as his name is, so is he, which is fool. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, will not see the young men of my lord. But I'm, I'm sorry. I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. So she's essentially saying, listen, his, he's a fool. He, he, he's, he's, he's a scoundrel. He's foolish. He's made a mistake. I didn't see the guys that you sent. I didn't see him. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. Uh, can I, and, and she's going to go on. And she says, now, therefore, in verse 26, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. So notice what she says here. She turns around, now, therefore, my Lord, and that's the way that, by the way, the way when she says my Lord, to David. She's not calling him God. She's, that's the way that a woman would address a man that day or, or somebody underneath of somebody else. They would say, my Lord. You know, it's, she's not saying that he is God or he is the Lord. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the, as, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, notice what she says. Since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then. So she says, David, the Lord stopped you. By the fact that I'm here, the Lord is stopping you from avenging yourself with bloodshed. Because you were going to avenge yourself by your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. Let them be fools, essentially. So she's, she's, she's right away turning David, she's reminding David of the things of God. She's reminding, you know, there, there's no psalm that goes along with this passage of Scripture. Where David is contemplating this. There's no psalm like there is where he's in a cave and he's thinking God. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. Dave is acting on, David is acting on pure emotion. He's fired up. He's been insulted. And he's going to fix it by killing everybody that's insulted him. And everybody attached to him. And she says to him, listen, don't do that by your own hand. Don't do that, David. And I want your enemies to be fools. And look at verse 27. And it says, oh, by the way, now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. And David, I've brought what you've asked for. I've brought food, I've brought supplies, I've brought the things that your men need. So here, can eat. She's come in humility, she's reminded him of the things of God, she's given him a gift. And then she says this, verse 28, please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. She's taken Nabal's actions, put it upon yourself, and says, David, will you forgive me? For The Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. You think, well, she's just kind of buttering him up a little bit. She's just kind of building on his ego and on his pride. She is, in a sense. And I think it's interesting that despite his anger, which I think we can all agree that David's about to act sinfully. Wouldn't we think that? Because of the way, you know, there's really no reason to go kill everybody. But despite his anger, 
Abigail speaks highly of his character. Notice what she says. The Lord will certainly make for my Lord enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. She's not pointing out the immediate problem. She's reminding him of who he is and where he comes from. She's reminding him of the life that he's lived. She's not, she's not looking at the immediate problem going, David, you're about to sin. Stop it. She goes, you're a man. Essentially, let me put it in our language, David, you're a man of God. I've, I've heard about you serving the Lord. I heard about you killing Goliath. I heard about all this. There's been no evil in you. I don't know that you should continue doing that this way. What a way to rebuke this man of God who's hot, who's angry, and she's doing it in a way that we're going to find is very successful. Now, while she puts down her husband a little bit, and well, maybe who's to blame her, I don't know, but we should, she shouldn't have, but she's approaching David in the right light. She's approaching him with, listen, remember what God's done for you. And she also says in the beginning of verse 28, forgive the trespass of your maidservant. Do you know how hard it can be to ask for forgiveness? I'm going to tell you right now that if you are a Christian, you need to learn to say those words, please forgive me for, and then finish that sentence. If you haven't said that word, those words in the last week, then you're probably doing something wrong because I got to believe that in this day, in this life, I know that I constantly have to go to people, whether it be my children in some way, whether it be my wife, whether it be people I'm working with, whether it be Kevin at the church here, whether it be something where I, where even if I haven't wronged them, maybe they feel like they've been wronged, and I have to be able to say, hey, forgive me. Can you just forgive me that I didn't, I didn't mean to do that? I made that, or maybe I did mean to do it. I just have to admit I was wrong. I have to admit I was a mistake, but we don't like to do that, do we? As Christians, we need to do that. Forgiveness needs to be on our heart. Oh, we want to be forgiven, don't we? We want, we want the Lord to forgive us. We, don't want to, we just don't want to have to forgive everybody else. We need to be people who forgive. The Bible is very clear that we can't be forgiven unless we forgive. And it is very, very important that if you are a Christian, you are sitting here tonight and you are holding a grudge against somebody, it has to be forgiven. Don't carry it with you. Well, it's not so, it's not, that's, that's, that's too hard to do. No, it's not. It's real easy to do. It's you aligning with the word of God saying, God tells me to forgive and I am going to forgive. I'm going to let this thing go. I'm not going to carry it with me. She says here, Abigail says, forgive the trespass of your maidservant. The Lord will make my, certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because the Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Look at verse 29. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. You know what she's doing? She's reminding David of what's going on in his life. Notice what she says. A man has risen to pursue you. Who's that man? It's Saul. Saul's chasing David, trying to kill him. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. Saul has arisen to pursue you, but your life is bound up in God. What a thing to say. I love it, I love it, I love it, how his life can be bound up in God, but yet he's still about ready to make a mistake, because that is just like us. Now, I want to share a story with you. When I was in college, people say, were you saved? I don't know if I was saved or not, but I can tell you this, God used me one night. I can tell you that I had some people over in my apartment one night. We were doing what normal college kids do, and I'll say that we were drinking a lot, and 
all of a sudden in the middle of our drinking, the topic of God came up. Well, I was a good Baptist. I went to Baptist school until I was in sixth grade. So I knew what salvation was. I, I knew that you had to pray the prayer and I knew what to say. So as this conversation, this topic of God came up in the monks of our drinking, I said, well, I know how to get saved. And one of the guys said, well, how? And I said, well, you got to pray this prayer to get saved. And he said, what prayer? And I started talking to him about it. And he said, well, I want to get saved. I said, now? you got to go to church to get saved. No, I want to get saved now. So what we did is we got down on our knees in front of everybody else that was sitting there in the apartment. They thought we were absolutely out of our mind. And I led him in a prayer to Christ. And he accepted Christ right there. And I'm telling you that I was partially intoxicated when that happened. I don't even know if I was saved when that happened, to be honest with you. I'm glad I didn't have to die then to find out. So that was right before Christmas break. After Christmas break, his name was Bill, by the way, and I can't remember his last name. After Christmas break, Bill came back, or everybody came back to college except for Bill. I said, what happened to Bill? Where's Bill? And his roommate was Jason. I said, hey, Jason, where where happened? Bill went off the deep end. Remember that night? I said, yeah, I remember that night. He goes, well, he's in seminary. He's going to be a pastor somewhere. I thought it was kind of weird then. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. You know, all right, whatever, whatever happened to Bill. So maybe Bill will listen to this message someday, and he'll call me so we can actually talk about this, because I don't even know who he is. I don't even know his last name anymore. But all I know is that I led him to Christ, and he went off to seminary the next semester to be a pastor. That's all I know about him. So maybe someday, if I don't meet him before heaven, I'll get to meet him in heaven, and I hope his ministry has been successful. But I say that story because God can use you even if you're not perfect, even if you're feeling like, you know what, I'm not available, I'm not, I'm not, there, there's stuff wrong in my life, so God can't use me. That's not true. God will use any part of you that you're willing to give to him. In that case, God used me, and I say that I may not have even been saved during that time, to lead somebody to Christ who he then called into ministry. Won't it be a cool day when I get to actually meet him and find out what that, how, how it all happened? I had no idea I'd be a pastor. Then it wasn't for many, many years later that I decided that the Lord called me to be a pastor. But isn't it cool the way God works? Here in our message, here in our story tonight, Abigail, in verse 29, says, Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living Lord your God, and and the lives of your enemies shall he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. What's she thinking about there? David, sling, enemy, sounds a little bit like David and Goliath, doesn't it? She's reminding him of who he was in the Lord. And he says, she says in verse 30, it's going to come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. You see, there was no doubt when, when Nabal said, who is David? Abigail knew who David was. David had slain, Saul had slain his thousands, David had slain his ten thousands. Abigail knew David was going to be ruler over Israel. Abigail knew David had killed Goliath. Abigail knew Saul was chasing David and David hadn't done anything wrong. She knew exactly who he was. So she's trying to save the life of her family and of all the people that work for her in taking her husband's sin, in taking, taking a, she's standing before him and said, I will take the blame, put it on me. How many wives would actually do that? Because coming before David, she really is taking her life into her hands. He could have easily said, you're the wife of Nabal, off with your head. We're going to kill, we're going to kill you sooner or later, might as well kill you now. But he doesn't. She continues in verse 31, and she's, again, she's laying out her, her, her plea to him. 
For that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. She just reminds him one more time, listen, don't shed blood without cause, David. You've done really well to this point. Don't do it. There will be a time in all of our lives where we have to correct somebody. There will be a time where we have to correct a friend, a family member, a loved one, as we see them about to make a mistake, about to do something wrong. I want to submit to you, look at how Abigail did it. She did it in humility. She did it with bringing him a gift. She did it with the idea, I'm going to remind him who he is in God before I lay down the problem. And then she's going to remind him of where the road that he's on is leading to. David, if you keep doing this, your hand's going to be guilty of bloodshed. You're going to be guilty of avenging yourself. That's important for us to know as believers because you will have to correct somebody, whether it be your children or just a a friend. And honestly, as Christians, if I have a friend who's about to do something stupid like David is, don't I have an obligation to correct them? Wouldn't you want somebody to come to you and say, hey, listen, that's not a very good thing you're about to do. But it starts with, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Can I, can, I just, can I share something with you? Can I, can I tell you something? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Listen, I know who you are in the Lord. I, I've seen you grow here. I've seen you grow there. I've watched God do this in your life. And now all of a sudden I see you're about to make a decision that goes against what God's word would say. I think you might want to reconsider that and allow God's word to, to do something. Allow God to handle this situation before. Why are you trying to do this on your own? Why are you seeking? Why are you trying to do this? Let God work it out on your behalf. What wise wisdom a woman of good understanding, what wise wisdom that comes from her. It's amazing. And David responds to Abigail in verse 32. He says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed is the Lord God who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. David recognizes the value of Abigail's correction and says, thanks, God. Thanks for sending her to to stop me from making this mistake that I was about to make. He recognizes the importance of she saved me from bloodshed that shouldn't shouldn't happen. She saved me from avenging myself with with my own hand. Blessed is your advice. Blessed is your advice. Why is her advice seen as blessed? Because of the way that she gave it. You see, sometimes we can give good advice, but the technique we use is wrong. The way that we say it is wrong. The way that our face looks is wrong. You know what happens is because sometimes when we're giving that good advice, we're not considering the other person, we're considering ourselves. We're saying it because of, for some reason, you know, I've said this before and I've run into this a lot lately. If I have to discipline somebody or I have to correct somebody, if there is no love in my heart for that person, that will not be received. It'll simply, be, it'll simply bring, bring them to a place of a rebellious heart against me. If I was to constantly discipline my children without love, what would they do? They would rebel against me. They would, there, would, there would be rebellion in their hearts. So here's what essentially what David is saying. He has a great response because of the technique she used. Now, I would like to tell you that every time you correct one of your friends in love after prayer, because you need to pray about it first, And let me say this to you as well, her situation needed to be hasty, but if you're going to correct somebody, can I suggest that you pray about it for a while first, unless the situation demands a hasty response? Spend some time praying about it, make sure it's something the Lord wants you to bring up, 
because I'm a big believer the Holy Spirit is working in all of our lives to correct us and to rebuke us and to train us. And I don't want to bring something up in somebody's life before the Lord brings something up. Because I can look at somebody's life and I can say, well, there's the problem in her life. She needs to fix this or she needs to fix that. But God might be looking deeper into her heart or his heart and he knows the real problem. What, I, what we tend to look at is symptoms, right? We can see the symptoms of people's problems. God says, I want to fix the heart. And I'm working over in this area, and you're trying to fix over here. Let me do the work, would you? And then after you pray about it, after you've thought about it, after you've realized, I do have a care for this person. It's not just me wanting to be controlling, because that's sometimes what, sometimes what correction can be. I can go to them, and I can say, hey, just like Abigail did, can I talk to you? I'm going to remind them of who they are, remind them of what God's done in their life. I'm going to remind them of the road that they're leading, that they're on. Where is it leading to? And let them make a decision from there. Do you really want to go down that way? Hopefully their response will be like David's. Blessed are you of the Lord. Thanks God for bringing me. Sometimes, and you better be prepared for this, sometimes that response could end the relationship. Sometimes you could go to correct a friend, family member, and you could have prayed about it. You could know the Lord wants you to do it. And this is why it's important to know that God wants you to do it because they may not heed that correction. David in our message tonight heeds it and he praises the Lord for it. But that friend or that relative or that loved one that you do that correction with, be careful or be willing to understand the consequence of that because what it could be is, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Who are you to say that to me? And then you become insulted and then you all of a sudden want to strike back. Don't be that way. Understand that if you're going to correct and you're going to lay something out to somebody and you're going to do it just like Abigail did and use it in the way that she did it is a great way to do it. The response may not be the same as David's, but it may be something that has to be said one way or another. I'd much rather have me correct somebody and have them walk away than them come to me someday and say, why didn't you ever tell me I was doing something wrong? Why didn't you ever tell me I was going down the wrong road? Why did you just let me go? Why didn't you say anything? I'd much rather have them say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm out of here. I'm doing it my way. Okay, that's your choice. David here is praising God. Blessed is her advice. Look at verse 34. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. I want you to understand that David recognizes God's hand in this. When someone comes to correct you, don't think it's them coming against you. Recognize God's hand in this. In, in, in your life, if someone says to you, hey, you really need to consider this about your life, and they lay it out just like Abigail did, see that and understand that it's God that's doing it, not the person that's doing it. He, David is, is very, you know, he's a man after God's own heart, but he realizes, indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you? Who kept David back? God kept David back. He just used Abigail to do it. You see, it's not, a, it's not a thing about David versus Abigail. God is using Abigail to rebuke David, and David is receiving it because he has an open heart, and he's willing to be counseled and willing to be, re, be rebuked. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. So off she goes. Her, her mission was a success. David's not coming up to kill everybody. But most importantly, I want you to see how God brought Abigail into David's life to show him what he was doing was wrong. As you, If you ever set off on the wrong path, God will bring people into your life to, to show you or to illuminate you to what's going on or what's going wrong in your life. 
we as Christians need to be aware that it's not them against us. We need to see that the value that God is showing us what's wrong. But we don't like to be rebuked, do we? We don't like when somebody's telling us, hey, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. We don't like that because it hurts. We want to think, well, I want to do this, I want to do that. It's not you against them. It's God using them in your life where you then have a choice. Am I going to heed the voice of God or am I going to disobey it? Am I going to go against it? Look at verse 36. Abigail goes home. Abigail went to Nabal. There he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. Therefore, she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. She goes back, Nabal's drunk, party's going on, doesn't say a word, goes to bed, verse 37. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and he had a big headache and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. And it happened after about 10 days, the Lord struck Nabal, And he died. Interesting. God avenged Nabal's behavior towards David. You see, Nabal's heart was so hard that he wasn't going to help David. David almost killed Nabal. And out of anger, David could have killed Saul. But instead, God says, I'm going to avenge what Nabal has done to David. And somehow, we read here that he got a heart of stone. He was freaked out, and he died 10 days later. We're not told exactly how, but he became like a stone. He laid on the ground. He wasn't able to move, and he, he passed away. God avenged him. What would be the difference if David had killed him? Well, David would have had blood on his hands. David would have, had, David would have committed murder. That would have been the difference. The outcome would have been the same. But the, but, the, but the difference would have been it would have been David would have been guilty of murder. Look at verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. Look at what happened. This is crazy. Notice what David says, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach on Nabal. David is famous in the Psalms for asking the Lord to break their teeth out, Lord, kill them, take them away. He does that in the Psalms often. He's pleading to God against his enemies. I would think that we, when we see that, we say, all right, David, it sounds a little harsh, but I guess it's better to plead to God to avenge you than to go out and do it yourself. We shouldn't be people who take vengeance on ourselves. But he also gives God glory. He says, has kept his servant from evil. And notice what, he, notice what he proclaims. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. Don't feel sorry for Nabal. The Bible is very clear. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. It's very, very true. If whatever I'm sowing in life is the same thing I'm going to reap. If I sow to the Spirit, what will I reap? everlasting life if i sow to the flesh what will i reap corruption yeah exactly nabal is sowing to his flesh he's keeping if you notice when he was talking about all of his stuff it was my sheep shearers my food my this my that he kept saying my 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 it was all about him and then david interestingly enough here after he proclaims the lord from saving him from evil 
it says he, David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. How would that marriage have worked out if David had killed her husband? But it's interesting, David sees the value in the woman who's, able, who's, who's of good understanding, who's able to keep him from going down the road of vengeance by his own hand. He sees the value in that. He sees the, now, it also says she was attractive, so I'm sure that had something to do with it as well. You know, he's obviously attracted to her, but he sees the value in her. And so he says, hey, I'm going to take her as my wife. Look at verse 40. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. She arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Notice her humility. Here I am. I'll even wash the feet of, my, of the servants of my Lord. That's how humble that Abigail is. So Abigail rose in haste, rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messenger of David and became his wife. Now verse 30, 43 is a little complexing or confounding. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. He had, but Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laash, who was from Galam. So, What's going on in David's family? Well, David had been given the daughter of Saul. Remember, Saul tried to kill him in the house. David had to flee. Saul has now taken his daughter away from David and given her to another man. Here, David takes uh, two wives, of which he will also take more wives in the future. And it leaves us asking the question, is that all right? Is it, I mean, all the guys in the Old Testament had, it seemed like they had lots of wives. Is, is, is that okay, according, to, according to, to the scriptures, what the Bible would say? And I want to share something with you. In the book of Genesis, it tells us that a man is supposed to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. It's a singular word. It's not a plural word. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, verse 17, speaking of kings, it says, neither shall he multiply wives for himself lest his heart turn away solomon found that out nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself so the answer to the question is it is it permissible by god to have multiple wives i would say the answer to that is no but i would say that we see that happening over and over again in scripture as the humanity as the culture of the of the of the day that they were living in was it common in that day to have multiple wives sure it was David was just living in that culture. Is it what God wanted? Is it, is it to receive the best of God to do that? No, it's not. It would have been better had he only had one wife. But that's not the case in here. The whole point, and I want you to take this home with you tonight, is God can still use you even if you're not perfect because you will never be perfect. When we look at David, who's the next king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, he's an incredible man. He's done incredible things for the Lord, and it's, it's only beginning we see that he makes mistakes too. And I like to see that because I have a tendency, I think if we were to write a book about ourselves, you'd leave all the bad stuff out, wouldn't you? You'd leave all the funny stories in, but you'd leave all the embarrassing ones out, wouldn't you? You'd leave everybody else's embarrassing stories in, but you'd, all those ones that you're involved in, you'd, you'd leave all those out. I think it gives the Bible validity when we read these kinds of things. It shows us that these are human beings. There was nothing special about David. He was hot. He got insulted. He was about to kill somebody. That was like donkey rage back in those days. We had road rage, they have donkey rage. He, I mean, he's furious. But we see his humanity. 
And it just shows us that he is just like us. And God is going to use him in a mighty way. And he'll do the same thing with us as long as we'll let him. Don't ever believe the lie of the enemy because he can use you right where you're at. The only question is, will you let him use you? Father, we thank you for your time in your word, for our time in your word. We thank you this, uh, this passage of 1 Samuel, Lord, as we see David's humanity, we see his imperfection. But Lord, we also see how you didn't let him go down that road. You brought, about, you brought people around him to show him the mistakes that he was about to make. And we see his heart as he yielded to those people. And Father, I ask the, tonight that if, if some of us, maybe we're on a, on a path that's going down the wrong road. Maybe we're about to do something foolish. Maybe we're about to do something that we shouldn't do in contrary uh, to what your word would say. And I ask that you'd bring somebody alongside of us to show us that as well. And like David, may we see that person is not coming against us, but we're but are coming for us on your behalf. So you, it's actually you coming to us, Lord, as you use people to speak into our lives. And Father, I thank you that you've given us this. And I pray that like David, we would heed, heed that advice, heed that word from you, and we would be people that would be, have hearts to follow after you. Lord, may you bless us. May we continue to rightly represent you in all that we do. Lord, and may we not act harshly. May we not be concerned about insults. May we allow you to worry about our reputation. May we not seek to avenge ourselves in any way. In Jesus' name, amen.